you're listening to the Quiet Rebels podcast, episode number 38. And my dear Quiet Rebel, I am so happy that you're tuning into this episode today because honestly, when I finished recording it with my special guest, I felt so inspired and I know this is going to be the exact same for you too. The interesting thing is that we started talking about this topic of feeling like we need to be one thing, right? We, we've all heard to niche down, to know our industry, blah, 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 that sort of thing, right? And I get it because I have until very recently worried so much about this pressure to be known for one thing. But you know the phrase, a jack of all trades, a master of none? Did you know that's not the complete phrase? The entire phrase is, a jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. Yep. For the longest time, for years, when I heard this quote about how bad it is to be a jack of all trades, I only recently found out in recent months that the very end of it is actually celebrating the fact that we are well-rounded. So if you're somebody who struggles with the idea of specializing in one area because you feel like you're leaving everything else behind to claim yourself as an expert of one thing, you're going to love today's episode. Because here's the thing, your work impacts more people than you know. I truly mean that. And in fact, I want to share a quote from my special guest today. You'll hear it sometime in the interview. And he says this. It's all about realizing how empowered we actually are. We're not just one thing. We're creating the world. And I think you're going to absolutely love it when you hear my special guest actually say that in real time. And so without further ado, my dear quiet rebel, let's dive in to today's episode which is all about how you can make a bigger impact as a small business owner. This is the place to be if you want the courage to live your life and run your business in a way that's true to you. Contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. But here's the thing, there's no time for you to be playing small anymore because you can make an impact on the people you want to help in this world by showing up and owning your message. And it is my personal mission to support you on your journey with every single episode. I am your host, Meike Sang, and it is my honor to welcome you to The Quiet Rebellion. Let's dive in. Hello, my dear Quiet Rebels. I am so excited to be here with you today because I have a special guest on the show who is a lot of things. And we are going to be talking about how to think bigger about the impact that we make in our work as creative entrepreneurs. So no matter what it is you do, I'm willing to bet at some point along the line, you have probably felt the pressure to call yourself this one thing, to be known for like this title that you have, right? Well, my special guest today is all of these things. So Matt Hall is a senior copywriter at Kajabi, which is an all-in-one platform for serious online businesses. And also, outside of that, he moonlights as a web developer and designer for Common People Web Design. So, Matt, welcome on board to the Quiet Rebels podcast. Hi, Mickey. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> awesome. So, Matt, I think it's actually perfect that you have like moonlight work as well as 
work work. So could you tell us why do you think it's so important for us to think bigger? And also, how did you get into all of this in the first place? Because for those of you who probably won't know, unless you're inside the mastermind, Matt and I, we actually met inside a copywriter think tank, which is a one-year mastermind. And we had the awesome opportunity to meet each other in real life in San Diego a couple of months ago. And he recently actually got this role at Kajabi, which is awesome. But I know he also does a lot of things on the side. So Matt, just tell us your story. How did you come to this point and how did you actually manage to hone in on the things that you call yourself when someone asks you the question, Matt, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the short answer to Matt, what do you do is I solve problems for businesses, usually through helping them have better messaging. Um, And what that entails is so many different things. So like you said, by day, I'm the senior copywriter at Kajabi. So it's my role to, uh, as a person who's actually writing the copy, I have a unique opportunity to touch basically every department. I can work with the pre-sales department. I can work with the customer onboarding department. I can work with the marketing and the product because all of those things use copy. And so in my role, what I'm trying to do is make sure that we're all telling the same story, a unified, strong story that's customer focused, that's really all about serving the needs of the actual users on our platform. And that, of course, is using the right voice and tone and stuff that people normally associate with copywriting. And um, because of my background doing development, doing design, doing a lot of different things, just as being the kind of person who loves to learn how to do these things and practice them, I'm able to make a much bigger impact than it could have otherwise. I'm able to speak authoritatively and uh, with experience and knowledge when I'm talking to like the developers, right? I'm able to say, hey, you know what? We've got this idea based on some customer feedback for this feature, based on what I know as someone who's done web development, this wouldn't be too difficult to implement. This could be a really quick win that could make our story or messaging better and it wouldn't require too many development resources. Is this something that you think we could get pushed out? And and a lot of times they'll say, oh yeah, that's a really good idea. And we just hadn't thought of that because we're looking at something else right now. And so with my position as a copywriter, I'm able to get the whole big picture of what's happening in the company and really shape not just how we're telling the story as a brand to get more signups, but how customers experience our brand and how that experience could be elevated as much as possible. So uh, that's what I do by day. And by at nights, I work with my wife. We run a little web studio, common people web design, and we get to make websites. We get to make landing pages where I get to bring my experience as a marketing strategist to web development and design. Now, have you ever tried to hire, make a, have you ever tried to hire like a graphic designer or developer who just didn't get what you were trying to do? As much as I love my developer, it was my lovely brother-in-law. He had great, um, you know, he, he knows how to do everything um, code-wise, but I didn't know how to communicate my vision to him. And I think like I was missing a middle person to kind of communicate my vision and like to be able to explain to him how to make that happen. Yeah. Well, because of my experience doing the marketing and the development and the design, I get to see in kind of a unique way how it all comes together. And so I kind of get to be my own middle person who's communicating between these different little sides of your business. So my clients love it. Um, They say, it's so nice. It's so painless working with you because you don't change my copy without asking first. Or if you do make a change, it's a good change instead of one that ruins what I'm trying to do because you don't understand the psychology behind it. So 
Um, it's a lot of fun. It's really kind of like solving a need that I saw, which is how do you hire somebody? You know, I've tried to hire developers and designers too. And um, your mileage may vary depending on the person you hire. And uh, I'll just say that solving my own problem has helped me work with a lot of other really talented creatives and serve them as well. Mm. Wow. You are extremely well-rounded and I just... I wish I had you as my middle person <laughs> when I like, don't get me wrong. When I look at my website, I'm really proud of it. It's so sleek and it's really nice. And I actually somehow managed to communicate a lot of the vision, but I think it would have been a lot more easier for both me and my brother if I did have someone like yourself in the middle. So that's great that you kind of, you operate two sides of the same coin. <laughs> well, and I got the idea when I was working, when I first started my career, I was working as like a content strategist. And I realized that in order to be an effective content strategist, to work with developers, to work with designers, I had to understand well enough what they were doing. If I didn't understand what their limitations were, for example, I wouldn't be able to plan what kind of content I could create. So I need to know, for example, you know, this parallax effect or whatever on the website isn't really viable in a blog post. So I can't plan to include some sort of like cool effect if I'm just having a normal written article. And so little examples like like that where I understand the technology really helped me plan better and understand what my, um, uh, what my limitations and restrictions are and then work within those constraints. Um, you know, I find that working within constraints actually makes me more creative than having like an open sandbox, which feels a little bit overwhelming. So maybe yeah. this is a way for me to understand my world and put it in a box that I can control. Yeah. You, yeah. You decide what goes in the box. You don't start in the box. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Okay. So that is the story of Matt Hall. And so tell me now with all of the experience that you have gained working at Kajabi and working um, for like we're working with your wife um, with common people in web design. How does that make you think about the bigger picture? So basically just what you said about, you know, you find all the things to put in the box, but most of the time we all start off the other way around when we feel like we're in a box already. So how, how can we kind of escape that? Because I know myself, if, um, well, you know, because we were in the same mastermind together, that over the last couple of months has been a lot of pivot points. And I always found it really difficult to almost let go of the things that I thought I should be known for or the things I am known for and to kind of venture into this new area without losing the credibility. I mean, that's me. And I know that there are also other creatives out there who are listening right now, um, my, my, my dear quiet rebels, who also struggle with that. So could you kind of like share some insights or some advice of how we can overcome that struggle? Sure. So I have a chip on my shoulder. I grew up as a poor skinny kid in LA. Um, I grew up a little bit loving punk rock and sticking <laughs> it to the man and all that good stuff. And that has not gone away. So I love the idea of a quiet rebellion, and which is one of the reasons I'm so excited to be on this because we don't need the loud people mm. continuing to be loud. There are enough loud people, and usually it's the loud ones who aren't very smart. And so you've got <laughs> the loud, brass ones. We all know that guy, right? We've all worked in that office where there's that middle manager whose career has peaked, and he's going to be spending the next 30 years doing the same thing. And he's going to think he's at the top of the world because he's at the top of his world, but he, he doesn't see things. 
or he gets threatened or there's ego or there's all this frustrating stuff. And so he gets louder and more offensive and just difficult to deal with. Um, we don't need people like that. There are too many people like that already in positions of, of actual authority and power. Um, maybe I'll say legal authority and power because <laughs> it might not be actual authority. Um, but what we need is more people who can recognize problems from the ground up and who can have the courage and the bravery to say, um, let's look at it this way instead. Here's an example of how I think I see this happening every day. So I was getting ready. I was working with a client and we were getting ready for a major website launch. We spent months working on this thing. The website was gorgeous. The copy, I wrote it. I think it was pretty good. <laughs> um, just to be a little self-indulgent. And uh, it was really, we're doing this final review and we're looking at the, uh, the hero image. And, and I always like to do this thing when I'm looking at my own work. It's very zen. Um, I, uh, I, I, I'm a Christian, but I, I found that studying Zen has made me like a better human being. And so I try to incorporate stuff from all over the place. And so I try to take that step back and I try to see things with a beginner's mind. And I say, if I were approaching this fresh, what do I see that I didn't as somebody who is in the weeds? And I noticed that in our hero image, it's all blonde women. And I married a blonde woman, so I'm not like opposed <laughs> to them. Um, I didn't, I didn't, it just happened. Um, but uh, this image, I said, well, who's our audience? How diverse is our audience? How old are the people in our audience? Like, what's their, what's their demographic? Can we make this hero image a little more reflective of the people that we're trying to serve rather than falling into these like unconscious, oh, this is what a good stock photo looks like kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And um, we actually ended up with a much better image of people. We, our demographic skewed a little older. So some 20-year-old blonde college student was not the person that we really wanted to have telling our story in our hero image. Um, so little things like that, right? Just somebody asking that question that ended up being a, a better result. It was much more inclusive. Um, try to have a much more diverse representation, which I think is a good thing. So that, that to me is an example of that quiet rebellion that I'm trying to work for every day as I'm thinking bigger about my work. I'm not just thinking, I could have just said, the words are fine. That's my job. I'm done. But really, what's my job? It's to tell a story. And yeah, I write. That's my job title as a copywriter. But if the images and the words aren't telling the right story together, then it's not as powerful as it could be. So taking that step back, thinking a little bit bigger, allowed us to get a win. Um, Disney Plus has not launched in the UK yet, has it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, I'm so I sorry. Mean, well, it will. It launches soon, right? Uh, well, I hope so because Netflix or Amazon Prime is just not complete without Disney movies. So you know. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's a, you feel that absence, right? I You're... do. I do. I love. I grew up with Disney, so I'm feeling that empty space. <laughs> You're missing out on all the memes the Americans are sharing about spending their holidays watching Disney Plus until their, their eyeballs melted. So jelly, so jelly. But yes, I'm, I assume that you bought it up for a reason, not just to rub it in my face. That's not here in the UK yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm just here to show. No, no. You, know, you guys get all your Marvel movies a week early, so it's okay. Okay. Um, so on, on Disney Plus, there's this documentary about the story of Disneyland. And I live 20 minutes away from Disneyland. We go several times a month. It's, oh it's absurd. So this is Southern California benefit. Like we pay higher rent, <laughs> but we get to go to Disneyland all the time. <laughs> so this is documentary about the Imagineers and that's Disney's term for people who work in their company. And my wife pointed out something really interesting. She said that Imagineer title doesn't just refer to uh, a visual designer or a concept artist 
or a roboticist or something like that. And that Imagineer title actually applies to people doing finance, to people who are plotting what the layout of the park is going to be like, to people who are doing the business decisions behind the scenes. And so this title Imagineer is just like a designer with a big D. We're all designing experiences. Yeah, yeah, no pun intended. Um, okay, please excuse the devil entendre, I guess. Ooh. This Okay, this show is not normally more explicit, but I might have to just for that. <laughs> just just for that, yeah. And that wasn't even on purpose either. I, I wasn't know, trying to I know. be I'm like sorry, a teenage boy. <laughs> you know, you can grow out of being the teenager, but the teenager will never leave you. Oh. So it's kind of like there's capital T truth. How about capital D designer? We'll say that. <laughs> and uh, but the thing is like if you're a copywriter you're designing you're designing words you're designing what the mental flow how are they going to think what the psychological journey is going to be if you're a coach you're helping someone design their lives you're designing an experience that lets people look and see uh, what they are now where they want to be and then you're designing that journey between those two points and so taking a step back and thinking big picture how you know um, Imagineers are, are anybody who's trying to help create this experience. Well, designers, we're all designers, whether you think so or not, we're all designers and we're all designing our lives or experiences and stuff for our users. And keeping that in mind, we really can then see an empowering vision of what we do. We're not just a copywriter. We're not just a graphic designer. Our job isn't to sit on a factory line and then write down words or pixel push until you have like a social media share, right? This isn't like the 19th century where people listening to this podcast are shackled to their desks until they've created enough copy for the day. Um, that's, that's not something that we're stuck dealing with if you're listening to this. So we're fortunate. We need to take advantage of that fortune and privilege that we have to bring about that quiet change it only happens from the ground up mm. oh do you know what as soon as you i didn't know that that that's what um disney calls their employees imagineers as soon as you said that i, f- I just felt literally like sparkles come off <laughs> come off that word because um it's just such a inclusive way of banding everyone together which i think is lovely and I think in a way, that's why I refer to, you know, this community here as Quiet Rebels, because there's just something that actually bands us together. There's one unifying point that I love how you described Quiet Rebels earlier, because that's exactly what we are. We're not the loud, abrasive types, but we choose to make change in the way that we choose to. And sometimes it is against the, st- the status quo or status quo, however you say it. But, you know, there's a reason we want to make a good difference. And sometimes it does mean venturing off the path laid upon us, but it's for a good reason. Yeah. And it's really thinking bigger about the path that we're on, right? So we're, we don't even have to go to a different path. We're, we're going to continue moving forward and we're just incorporating more things. So really the path just gets wider and we're able to have kind of more, more wiggle room where we can do more on, on the journey that we're on. Um, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot this year are stages of market sophistication. So Eugene Schwartz, Schwartz uh, wrote this book called Breakthrough Advertising. And it's his, it's his classic copywriter book. Do you have a copy? I don't, but I've, I know the principles. But actually, I don't think we've actually spoken about it on the podcast now. So until right now. So go, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> We're all blank slates here. 
<laughs> yeah. So Breakthrough Advertising is this seminal work about advertising. He talks about like the buyer's journey. He talks about um, like market sophistication. Basically, anything you need to know about positioning yourself within your market. And he talks about these five stages of market sophistication. So in the first stage, all you have to really do is share like the dream with your audience to say, hey, you can have uh, go on beautiful rides with your family in this car. Okay, cool, great. Uh, let's all get a Ford Model T and we don't have to ride the horse anymore. Um, in the second stage of sophistication, you now have several people competing, offering similar visions of that dream, of that clear statement. So then you have to be a little more sophisticated. You have to enlarge on the promise. You have to say, oh, you know what? Um, go on, spend more time with your family, uh, save money and have a better life with this Model T, Model E, I don't know. I, I probably should not be making early car references because I'm not a car dude. Um, <laughs> I work on my own car, but I have no clue about the history of the car. Um, so you, you're enlarging on that direct promise. Stage three, a little more sophisticated. Everyone else is enlarging on the direct promise. So you need to have something that differentiates you from your competitors. You need to say, oh, our car is the quietest in the market or our car gets better miles per gallon or something like that, where you're differentiating your option from your competitors with a specific mechanism. The fourth stage of awareness, everyone else now has their own things they're focusing on, and you're really just trying to enhance your mechanism. So you're now saying, oh, we have the highest miles per gallon or the quietest car. So it's not just that you have a quiet car that's different from your competition. You now have a car that's quieter than your competition's quiet cars. Um, you're just really kind of diving into these specific mechanisms that you're using to differentiate your product from your competitors. And then the fifth stage of, of awareness and sophistication, the market is exhausted. The market has seen all these different promises and claims. The market has seen what happens when people have to make stuff up to sound different from their competitors and they're a little jaded, a little cynical. Nobody believes brands anymore. And so there's this shift to identifying um, with the prospect right? And this, this is where you get like the Marlboro man, right? Where it's like no longer how, how is your product different, but who will your product make me into? How can I be like the person who uses this product? Um, like, that, like that Rolling Stones line. Uh, he can't be a man because he doesn't smoke the same cigarettes as me, right? <laughs> that idea where like market is now sophisticated to the point that you're, you're selling identity. And then it kind of circles back around to that first stage where there's a clear, bold statement. This is who you can be, right? And then it goes through that cycle again. I think right now we are about to tip. We're in this fifth stage of sophistication. We just said this uh, Super Bowl is when we're recording this, which is like advertising Christmas. You get all these ads that come out. And I don't see people caring as much this year as they did a few years ago. Mm. Um, I know people talk about it a little bit, but it feels like in 2011, 2012, people got so excited about Super Bowl ads. Now people are like, oh yeah, JLo, uh, whatever, you know. Um, I think people are getting gated because people are just being inundated with constant marketing messages that all sound less believable than the one they heard previous. So that gives us an opportunity who are seeing through this, who are thinking bigger about market awareness, who are realizing, oh, you know what? Um, there's an opportunity for me to stand up and be a leader to focus on having these clear, distinct statements. 
they show people, this is what you can be. This is what you can transform into. And it's clear, this is the dream. Um, and this is what we can achieve together. Do you want to come with me? And which is exactly what I think all the most successful course creators and coaches and even copywriters and designers are doing nowadays. We're not really selling, oh, my copy is X percent better than, than competitors, right? Like I do pretty well as a, as a copywriter. I never have to sell the fact that like, oh, my stuff converts well. Um, because I understand that like conversion isn't just my copy. It's how well you warmed your list beforehand. It's thinking bigger, right? How well you warmed your list beforehand, how you're different from your competitors, how well the visual design and the text support your message. So I don't even compete with other copywriters. I sell something different. I say, hey, um, I know what it's like to be a marketer. And so I'm going to give you a page that is clear, that moves your audience forward in their journey towards conversion, that uses the right tech and has design that amplifies your message and gets out of the way. And when you're working with me, I know what you're doing because I've done it too. So it's going to be simple. You want to work together? Right? And, I'm already and nodding I can see you nodding your head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? And that's it. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying my, my copy converts X percent better because like there's factors outside of my control and I can't promise that. That's not authentic. Mm-hmm. I had a client actually just this weekend who a, pr- a prospective client that ended up turning down because this person said, well, you know, how well do your landing pages convert? Well, how, how good's your how good's your traffic, right? Like, how how much of a relationship have you earned with your audience? Mm. How are different are you from your competitors? And this person kept going back to like percentage rates, and I'm like, okay, that's not not for me. Um, yeah, we're not going to be a good not. fit, and that's okay. You can work with somebody else. Mm. I'm glad that you brought that up because um, I was literally just recording one of the modules in my podcast guesting program, and I talked about measuring the impact of podcast guesting both with hard and soft metrics so hard metrics yeah you know focus on conversion rates on your landing pages if you're going to be building an email list but there's so much beyond just the hard metrics there are some people who are more data driven but there are more people that i know in my audience who are much more impact driven so they look for the things that you can't easily measure i say that you can measure it with intuition so just things like when someone replies to your email newsletter I don't count how many people do that, but the fact that they do it consistently, that makes a difference. Or when someone just like reaches out beyond just your email list and just like connects with you, you can't measure that. And I'm glad that you're talking about this, Matt, because there are so, there's only so many features that we can try to conjure up that is like, it differentiates ourselves from the other. But I love that because we're at this tipping point now, we're not focusing on the transformation we create we provide the vehicle of change for the people we serve so that they can change themselves. And I think that's much more powerful. Oh yeah. And their results, right? You talk about that qualitative feedback. If you're not just delivering, oh yeah, I can do X percent or some binary thing, you know, that you're delivering, but you're delivering transformation and change. Well, that, that sentiment, that feeling, that positive feeling towards you and about themselves is going to be so much higher. And that's really what we're doing, right? I mean, ideally, I mean, yeah, we have to make a living. Let's get that out of the way. Rent, rent must be paid. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but we can do that now. We're, we're blessed to live in a period of human history where we can do that in so many different ways and we can make an impact in the actual lives of our audience. Um, I, I love to show the impact we can make in, in small ways Uh, through these examples that I run into every day. So I I love design. I love product design. Um, 
And uh, I notice things about design. Uh, see, once you get good enough at marketing, you realize that marketing design, are, they're the same job. What's the purpose of marketing? It's to get your audience excited about something, ideally, so they'll share it with people they love. And your product has to be good enough to be shareable. If people share, you, you can't get people to share something organically, authentically, if it's garbage. So you have to create something good enough. Your marketing doesn't work if your product isn't good enough. But once your product is good enough, people want to share that because they want to share the transformation they've had. Well, design is creating something so good, it just works. And people love using it. And when people love using something, they're going to tell their friends about it. So good marketing and good design, they're really the same job. They're just approaching it from a slightly different angle. So bad marketing and bad design are also very similar. Have you, do you have the Swiffer wet mops in the UK? Uh, I can't say we do either that or I'm just not that much of a house person yet. <laughs> okay, that's okay. So what they are is they're these little mops and you push a button and there's like a, like a 50 cent motor in it and it sprays water in, in front of your little mop. And you oh, get I've, seen it. I've seen these adverts, but we don't have one. Okay. But yes, I know. What yeah, you're yeah. Well, they sell the bottles. The bottles aren't refillable. And so they sell these bottles for five bucks each and it's water and soap. It's nothing special, but you can't take the cap off. You can't unscrew the cap. Well, I found some hack on the internet. <laughs> and it turns out you can let it soak in water for like 90 seconds. Just let it soak in hot water. And then this plastic becomes soft enough that you can just pull it off and then you can snip off the little tabs. They went out of their way to design little tabs that would prevent you from taking the cap off of this bottle, forcing these bottles to become one-time use and trying to lock you into buying their brand bottles that are way overpriced forever. I mean, that's, they cost $5 a bottle in the U- US and that's got to be virtually all profit because I know there's probably less than 50 cents worth of total manufacturing and, and stuff in there. Um, that's bad design. That's hostile design. Uh, they're, they're going in and they're, somebody had to deliberately say, how can I design this so that our customers have to buy a new plastic throwaway bottle every single time. Um, I don't want to build that, right? Now imagine if we'd been in this meeting and they're saying, uh, we want people to use our products more. We want people to have this refillable bottle. We want to, to, to lock them in as much as we can. And you as a designer had said, I'm not going to make that. Okay, you guys want me to design this thing so that people have to create more waste just to go in the ocean someday. Uh, we want to create um, a, really this unethical kind of scummy approach for a bottle. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. If that had happened, if enough people had done that, there would be nobody left to design the thing, right? Or the people who would be left would be bad designers. Um, I think something that we don't realize is that our community is much smaller than we realize. Um, there are not that many people doing conversion copywriting. There's a lot of copywriters. But people actually doing deliberately, deliberately doing conversion copywriting and direct response copywriting, which is what I do, there are not very many of us. And so it doesn't take very many of us to say no. Because if the few of us who are doing this say, I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm not going to write a sales page for a product that doesn't work. I'm not going to sell supplements that are garbage. I'm not going to sell something that exploits people who aren't sophisticated enough or who aren't educated and robs them of money, right? I'm not going to write that. Well, if there's enough of us to do that, the people who are left to do it, they're going to suck at their jobs. And so they're going to have like the crappy people doing the crappy work and it's not going to be as effective. 
Um, I don't know about you, but several times I've had to help my mom cancel an auto bill trial <laughs> for some free vitamins she got online that ended up being 80 bucks a month after every single month. And it's like, oh my gosh, who did this? Somebody built this. Somebody designed the page to have that information be hidden and be sneaky. So that designer is culpable. Somebody wrote the copy, that copywriter is culpable, and somebody developed it. And some developer. And everybody can say, oh, I'm not the one running the company, so it's not really my decision, or I'm just developing it. I'm just using my code to take their design. They handed me. I'm not thinking about it. No, 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 no. Think bigger. How does what you do affect the lives of the people who are going to see what you're saying, what your message is, what you're creating and building? Um, Think about that. Get a little mad when you see stuff that should not have been built. And then push back. Good, good, good. I want more people to get mad about this stuff because the more people who can push back and say, I'm not doing that. No. Um, The better the world's going to be. One time I had an employer who said, I want to make this the biggest sale ever. I want you to contact everyone who's ever unsubscribed and I want you to send them an email, get in there to buy more. And I said, absolutely not. I am not doing that. Uh, First of all, it's unethical. I'm not doing that because of that. So let's get that out of the way. Number two, it's illegal and you can be fined 250K per email. How do you feel about that? He didn't care about the ethical part. He did care about the legal part and we did not send that email. So, you know, there are so many different ways that we can push back to do better work and make the world a little bit better. And in the process, make our brands better, right? We're going back to this clear, honest, authentic message of sophistication. Our audiences want something they can trust. They can smell, they can feel deception. They can feel when something's kind of slimy and sneaky. So let's not even do that. Let's just do better. I'm I'm just like on the other side of the mic here. I'm just feeling so inspired just listening to you, <laughs> just hearing all of these examples. And I'm glad that you've also turned down jobs when it just breaches like your idea of what ethical business is like because I've also done the same sometimes when I've been in a financial pinch I could have easily said yes but I always say no and I find a way to earn some money like on the side job or something another way that was especially when I was just starting out as a copywriter no less and I can tell when I speak to the person who wants to potentially hire me if they have bad intentions and if they're in it more for themselves and the people they serve. So it's a phrase that you probably heard me say on a masterclass recently, service over self-importance. And you know when it's the other way around when you're like speaking with these people. And so I'm glad that you've done some pushback as have I. And I hope that some quiet rebels who are listening right now have also kind of like chose their ethics before anything else like granted sometimes we're in a stuck position and sometimes it's easier to do this but you know it's more conscious effort it takes time to be able to 100% always turn these people down <laughs> because sometimes we are in a financial pinch but I'm glad that you brought up this topic today Matt yeah well thank you and and it's really all about realizing how empowered we actually are right we're not just blank we're not just one thing or another um, we're creating the world, right? Whether you're you're creating an experience, whether you're typing words, whether you're you know designing what the psychological journey is going to look like, or whether you're helping somebody improve their lives, in one small way or another, we're creating a little piece of the world. And so, why not work together to create something that we all want to enjoy, we all want to live in? Um, and by so doing, 
make the world a little bit better place, you know, push back against the, the bro marketers we were talking about before we uh, started our call, right? Push back against that nonsense. And in so doing, we'll be building a brand that people instinctively trust, that they feel warm about, that they feel good about. And the more people trust us, the more people like us, the more people feel good about their interactions with us, we have more of an impact on their lives. When we tell them to do something, they're more likely to do it if they trust us. Mm-hmm. So um, this, that means we have even more power to do more good. It's this virtuous cycle where as long as we continue standing tall, even in small ways, and um, doing more, we'll be able to have a bigger positive impact. Um, I want to share one last quick story. I was working for this startup. I was doing some consulting with them, some content consulting, um, just creating content for their blog. Not a huge deal. And I realized that the platform they were building was not uh, morally aligned with what I wanted to put into the world. Um, it was definitely something that would lend itself very easily to exploitation. And I didn't see anyone in the company uh, interested at all in developing safeguards to prevent uh, you know, minors, for example, from getting on the platform and using it in ways that would be... Um, unethical. And even after kind of trying to raise a concern, nobody cared. And I realized this is not going to, this is not going to work. This is not going to change. So I sent him an email. Um, I've already talked about how we can appeal to ethics, how we can appeal to the law to get people to do the right thing. Um, the third thing I found is to send that really satisfying. This is not what I want to build because I think is wrong email. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I quit just on the spot. Um, I was done. So I, I, I walked away from um, an equity situation that could potentially have been worth like $2 million. Uh, that sucked and that hurt, um, especially since I was also getting cash every single month. But what that did is that put me on a trajectory where I was able to do more work like I'm doing now, where I made the decision, you know what, I'm only going to work with people who are trying to make a world a better place. And I'm only going to work with business owners who are trying to make the world a better place. And that led to more opportunities to work with more people like that. It's that law of attraction thing, right? I'm not a big secret woo-woo guy, but I definitely believe the law of attraction. What you focus on is what you bring into your life. Well, if I want to focus on doing good, I'm going to have more opportunities to do that. And what ended up happening is that that company lost the talent they needed, not just me, but other people too. They lost the talent they needed to succeed, which means by saying no, this platform that could have been used in unethical ways um, no longer has a viable future. So cool. Guess what? We stopped something from coming into the world that probably shouldn't have existed. And um, I'm now doing much more work that I enjoy with good human beings who are trying to make a positive impact. So I guess that's my biggest message and takeaway for your audience is, you know, stand up, uh, be willing to say no. Think bigger about your role and how it affects the lives of the people actually using the thing that you're creating, you're building. And then have faith and trust that by doing the right thing, you're going to be set on a path where the universe can give you more opportunities to do more good and kind of have this wonderful network effect amplification of positivity just through the simple, honest work you're doing every day. Well, I'm just kind of having a moment here on the other side of the mic that I'm really glad that you've been able to articulate this message in such a way. And your voice is really smooth, by the way. That's something else I've been thinking. I thought maybe I should say that after the interview is finished, but no, your voice has been extremely smooth, which is why it makes it so 
easy to kind of take all of this in and realize that we do play a much bigger role than we think. And the decisions we make really do allow us to bring great things into the world or vice versa. And I hope that everyone who's listening right now takes a stand and believes in working with people who do good things, not just for money. I mean, we all need to make an income, sure, but there is also a way to make an impact with the income you make as well. So thank you, Matt, for all of the amazing stories and also bringing to light the five stages of market sophistication because we've never actually talked about it before on the podcast. And it's good to know that we're almost at a tipping point because that gives us an opportunity to change in the right ways. Well, and thank you so much for running this podcast. I've been listening since your first episode and it's just been like <laughs> so cool to like, um, this is the kind of work the world needs where people are just putting out there, putting their positive messages out there and encouraging more people to do good and let them know, hey, you're not alone if you're trying to be a good guy or a good person. So um, thank you so much for doing the work that you've been doing for months and months and months now. <laughs> thank you so much that means the world to me and so matt i am sure that after this episode we're going to have a couple of quiet rebels wanting to connect with you even more so where can people go to find you yeah so i am on facebook and linkedin matt hall um i think i'm matt hall on linkedin um <laughs> but matt hall senior conversion <laughs> uh, senior copywriter at kajabi um so just connect with me there i i love linkedin um i also have a free open source course It'll help creative professionals think bigger about the impact they're making. Um, I didn't mention this earlier, but I'm also an MBA. And so I understand how business works. And I totally get the purpose of why we hire creatives, what we're trying to achieve, but also how creatives can make a huge impact in the lives of the people they serve. So if you go to conversiondesign.org, you'll be able to sign up for that free email course. There's no pitch, nothing there. It's just a simple, hey, um, this will hopefully help you think a little bit bigger about the work you're doing every day. Brilliant. I'll make sure to put all those links into the show notes so that people can easily like click and find you on LinkedIn and Facebook and to sign up for your course, which sounds amazing. So thank you very much. And two final questions for you, Matt. You already kind of answered it already, but I'd love to hear again. What makes you a quiet rebel? I know there is more opportunity out there than I'm aware of, which means I will never have my last opportunity. And so I have nothing to lose. Um, I, uh, last year, uh, about 10 weeks before baby number three was born, um, actually quit my job because it wasn't, it wasn't a good fit, but I knew there was more opportunity out there. And so I could quit and, and it logically it made no sense to quit then. But I said, you know what? I know this is what everybody's telling me. They're telling me to stick with it, you know, whatever. Nope, I'm just going to quit because I know that's right. And uh, about a week later, my wife was actually hospitalized with pneumonia. And, uh, you know, so the timing, you know, universe and all that worked out perfectly. But um, really, it just reinforced my own personal confidence that I don't need any one employer or opportunity for me to craft a future for myself. And so knowing that means I can say no. And I don't have to make a big show of it. But um, I know that when I come into a place, um, my job is to be Matt Hall. My job isn't to be a copywriter. It's to be Matt Hall and just do what Matt Hall does, which is solve problems through better messaging. I don't want to feel constrained by what my job title says. I know that if they don't like it, I have other things I can do with my time and be paid just as well. 
So um, I think that's what makes me a quiet rebel. I can say, okay, this, this is what you get. If you don't like it, I've got other things to do. I like it. Thanks. So thank you for that. And finally, one question that I absolutely love asking all of my guests when they come onto the show is this. So when my audience hears the sound effect, it means it's time for a fact of the day. So when I have solo episodes, it's like mini facts about me. But when I have a guest, I love asking this question because I want to know about this weird or fun fact about you that is not very like you can't easily find this information out, whether it's on your social media or your website. I mean, what is one thing that us quiet rebels can know about you today, Matt? Ooh, um, I am currently going through a weird midlife crisis kind of thing <laughs> where I'm, I'm in a project where I'm refurbishing a Game Boy Advance with a modern IPS screen and uh, a clear shell. And I, I love how I'm refurbishing an iPod too, like an iPod classic. And I love how the access to the market in China to like AliExpress has made it possible for us to buy these weird electronics parts from things that we loved as kids and then can bring them into adulthood in a really weird way. So that's, uh, I, I'm trying to learn electronics as an adult and I love it. And I'm realizing how simple electronics are, even though they look complicated, they're actually really simple. So, um, yeah. That. Is so I saw cool. you light up when I said Game Boy Advance. Why don't yeah, we talk about your gaming I a little bit? I, I, <laughs> I mean, I grew up playing Pokemon. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I do have Pokemon references on my website. I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, Matt. But on my About page... I, I've, heard, I've heard the references every episode. You know, this wasn't being an episode of your podcast <laughs> without a Pokemon reference. So I'm glad you worked on it at the end. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. I think one of my most recent episodes with uh, Stacy, she, she had Pikachu earrings on when <laughs> we were talking, actually. I was like, oh my God, I have a giant pikachu and for those who haven't seen me in a giant with a giant pikachu plush it's on my about page on megasand.com in case you want to <laughs> check it out <laughs> but yes that's why my eyes lit up as soon as she said game boy Advance. but this is about you and i can't wait to hear about all of these like refurbished sort of game like electronics that we used to have and how you bring them into our time today so that would be really cool please keep us updated on that <laughs> yes yes i'll tell you i'll uh Share some updates on, on my social. How's that? <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much, Matt. I really loved having you on the show today. All right. Thanks, Megan. My pleasure. Now you tell me, aren't you feeling super inspired right now? Because as I listen back on the interview, I also feel the same. And, you know, honestly, for us, many of us are small business owners. We don't have gigantic teams. So it feels like the things that we do kind of make little to no difference but it's the exact opposite that couldn't be further from the truth because here's the thing i want to introduce you to the concept of the impact iceberg and what that is is kind of like the iceberg theory when you see the just a small portion of the iceberg above the surface and below the surface is about 80 percent of the entire iceberg and sometimes it can only feel like we are reaching a small amount of people because there is a small amount of people in the grand scheme of things who will tell you how you made them feel and the difference you've made for them. But what you don't realize is that there are so many people who have looked at your work, who have been inspired by it, but impacted by it. But the thing is, the opportunity hasn't presented itself yet. They're waiting for the right moment to tell you. And so because of that, the majority of the people you do impact, 
you won't know yet. And the reason why I want to share the idea of the impact iceberg with you is because there are going to be times on your journey when you feel like what you do makes no difference. But again, that couldn't be further from the truth. Your work helps people silently at times. And then there are going to be some people who will come out of the weeds to tell you that the work you do has changed their life. So don't you dare stop with your quiet rebellion. All right? Okay, deal. (laughs) So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to share it with those who you really feel who needs it, please do share this link, makeasang.com forward slash 038, because that will help Matt to really spread his message of what he shared with us today. I truly love his quote that I mentioned at the beginning. He said it in the middle, and I'm going to say it here to the end. And that is... It's all about realizing how empowered we actually are. We are not just one thing. We are creating the world. So go out there and make the change. All right? I trust in you with your quiet rebellion, so go for it. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it, that you're inspired by it and you feel compelled to share it. And if you do, please be sure to tag us at Matt Hall and Make Sang. So we are both on LinkedIn and both on Facebook. So I'll put the spelling of our names in the show notes so you know exactly where to copy and paste just in case you can't. Well, it's mainly my name. Like Matt has a very easy to spell name, thank goodness. But you know, mine is a little bit different. So M-A-I-K-E-E-T-S-A-N-G. And I hope that we can hear your thoughts and to really see this message spreading to more people who need to hear it. So thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to see you here, same place, same time next week. Thank you so much, my lovely quiet rebel. And-